Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, we tackle the biggest show on planet Earth, Squid Game. Plus, I'm Braun, Jeff Braun, and we got a new James Bond movie in theaters this weekend. Finally, we'll tee up No Time to Die. Plus, we'll continue our fall TV preview, which includes famed symbologist Robert Langdon. Nothing against symbologists, but famed? (laughs) Come on. But as you mentioned, Brett, Squid Game remains the number one show on Netflix for this past week, and the Couch Potatoes finished the series. I binged all nine episodes in less than four days, and I don't binge much at all, but I just couldn't help myself. It's rare to find a show that is both artistically triumphant and so entertaining at the same time. The concept is genius to think of something uh, that is original, at least in its depiction, but also feels accessible is very difficult. And the premise of this show, if you've not seen it, is these um, people that are down on their luck, they owe money, they're criminals, they're you know looking at jail time or a hard life sort of get tricked by this shadowy organization into playing these children's games with each other, except when you get eliminated from these games, you get killed. But the upside is you got a chance at winning millions and millions of dollars if you can make it to the end. So it's kind of like the Hunger Games and that. And, you know, there are of a ton of sci-fi stories that may be original and genius, but they're either too confusing for audiences to get a handle on, or they're just boring. And Squid Games brings us in because as it goes along, it relies on the relationships that the characters develop with each other and the relationships we develop with these characters. The premise is very hooky. It sucks you in, but we stay in because of the characters. And it's something that every show tries or should try, but many fail at uh, actually pulling it off. And in that way, I thought it was like Lost because that show had a lot of big ideas and crazy situations, but we watched it because we loved Hurley, because we wanted Sawyer to redeem himself, because we wanted Desmond and Jack to figure themselves out. And I found a lot of comparisons in Squid Games to other shows and movies as well. Some of them pretty obvious, like I said, like The Hunger Games. And there's a movie about characters forced into, you know, life or death games. And there's an excellent Japanese movie called Battle Royale, which is basically a more real world Hunger Games, but all the players involved are juvenile delinquents. Also, and maybe most of all, uh, Squid Game has a lot of parallels with Survivor because Squid Game has the same progression as Survivor, both as a TV show for us and as a game of survival for the players. It goes along episode after episode with fewer players remaining until there's more or less a last person standing. And the ironic part, in a way, is as the season goes along, we get to know the players better, which makes it all the more heartbreaking when they're inevitably eliminated by episode three of either series. You know, I'm in a spot where I'm thinking, Well, it's going to be a real bummer when so-and-so leaves the show, but even though since it is just a TV show, I could, you know, turn it off and never have to put myself through that, but I can't turn it off. In fact, it just draws you in deeper and deeper because you become that much more connected to everything. And then, you know, the end of Squid Game, we won't won't have any spoilers, but the finale, of course, has drawn some ire because, well, like we mentioned a couple weeks ago, that's just what finales do. And in the larger sense with this show, you know, the show's a tragedy, so there's no such thing as a happy ending for Squid Game. It would have just been impossible and i actually credit the creators of the show for not trying to find one or force one in things basically play out the way you would expect if you sort of think logically how things must go there are a couple of ways where the show sort of lets the main character off the hook but it also still i thought made sense for all the characters involved all the decisions made near the end there and it's just another example of how well thought out and how well plotted squid game is it's a testament to the writing of the show 
you know, for it to be as bonkers as it is, but you don't really question anything. It all feels like, you know, if those were actually happening in real life, this is how it would really go. Uh, maybe the exception is the sort of big twist or big reveal in the last episode, which I won't spoil again, but it does raise some logical and emotional questions about some of the things that came before it. Honestly, I still have not made up my mind whether or not I like that big reveal in the last episode. And that in of itself is, you know, another reason why I think the show is so interesting. And that's really been the main draw. So many shows are just, you know, tired retreads of stuff we've seen before. And Squid Game, it was such a breath of fresh air because even though, you know, like I just did, you can compare aspects of of it to other shows and movies. There's really never been anything quite like Squid Game before, Brett. It is so good. It is so exciting. It is intense. And uh, the games that they play, all these childhood games uh, brought to lethal levels. The tug of war, I won't go into specifics about how it works, but there's a game of tug of war and, you know, one team wins, one team does not continue to live. And I sat on the edge of my couch in, I could barely breathe uh, at the fact that they, they managed to make a game of tug of war as crazy as it was, as um, just tense and suspenseful and, oh my God, what's going to happen? Uh, it was brilliant. And uh, it was awful, but it was brilliant. The games that they yeah. concoct are uh, really, you know, it's cool in the sense like, wow, this is really creative, but it's then horrifying to watch how it plays out. Uh, so I give them kudos for that. I liked how colorful the show was. Um you know, parts of the 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 state, the the area where they are housed, are super colorful and bright because they're playing childhood games, so it's very childlike. Uh, and I would also point out that probably going to be the most popular Halloween costume out there is uh, oh, yeah. Squid Game. You, I, I can imagine that there's been a run on black fencing masks. You know, like uh, <laughs> fencing shops around the world uh, and tracksuits. Yeah, and tracksuits and. And uh, those red uh, jumpsuits they were wearing. Uh, worth pointing out, this show, as of earlier this week, was number one in 90 countries around the world. And Netflix is saying that this could be the biggest show it's ever had. Which is cool because this show took over 10 years to get made. Like, the guy who created it, he uh, he came up with this idea, but it was, every time he pitched it, it was people said, "Oh, this is way too grisly. This is way too uh, dystopian." Demented. Yeah, no one's going to want to watch a show about people killing each other for money. They thought it would be unrealistic. Turns out that was completely wrong. Like at one point, the guy who was uh, creating this, he was living with his mom and grandmother. He had to stop writing the script at one point because he needed to sell his laptop for six hundred bucks cash. Uh, so he managed to get back to that. And so I think it's it's a success story in that sense. Uh, also, I'm curious to know what is really being said in this show. Like, I watched it in Korean, but of course I don't speak Korean, so I had to read the English subtitles, and there's been some criticism of that. Like, there's uh, somebody who tweeted, not to sound snobby, but I'm fluent in Korean, and I watched Squid Game with English subtitles, and if you don't understand Korean... You didn't really watch the same show. The translation was so bad, the dialogue was written so well, and zero of it was preserved. And uh, there's a, here's an example. The line of dialogue in the show 
from one of the characters is that we read was, I'm not a genius, but I still got it worked out. But this person is saying what was actually said was, I'm very smart. I just never got a chance to study. So that might not seem like a big thing, but uh, part of what Squid Game is all about is about, you know, class divide and, and the disparity of wealth, which I understand I haven't seen Parasite yet, but I understand that was also a theme in that yep. movie, which was from Korea. So they, they by making that one little change, they changed a lot. So I would be very curious to see if maybe they redo the subtitles uh, somewhere down the road if they get enough criticism of that. And I like how they, they set it up for a potential second season. So Squid Game, awesome. That I didn't care for. I don't want to see a season two of this. They've got some. They've got lightning in a bottle. They've got a perfect piece of entertainment here, and they need to just let it, let it be itself. And they can only, the degree of difficulty in coming back stronger in season two. I, I just don't see it happening. I, I think they need to quit while they're ahead with this. That's probably true. Uh, but the Netflix, of course, will want to capitalize on yeah. the success, and and of course the show's creators too, and the actors. Like I would imagine anybody involved in this. There's no way they could have predicted that this would become a global phenomenon in the span of like three weeks uh, because it just came out a few weeks ago. So Uh, Squid Game, check it out. In a moment, we'll tee up James Bond. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and Bond is back, baby, with the long-awaited fifth James Bond film of the Daniel Craig era, No Time to Die. Now your enemy is my enemy. How did that happen? Well, you live long enough. You a double O? Two years. So stay in your lane. What is it? You don't know what this is. Oh my God. Who is he? No time to die. Rated PG-13. Tickets now on sale. It's Daniel Craig's last kick at the can as 007, which all began 15 years ago with Casino Royale, followed by 2008's Quantum of Solace, 2012's Skyfall, and 2015's Spectre. Of those, the general consensus is that Casino Royale and Skyfall are terrific, Spectre is okay, and Quantum of Solace is not very good. That's fine when you have a 25-film series. You're bound to throw up a stinker or two every now and again. And it looks like No Time to Die is another good one. It's at 84% on Rotten Tomatoes, so that's good news, especially when you consider that the movie is two hours and 45 minutes long for some reason. Why on earth would a James Bond movie ever need to be that long? Maybe it's because the new villain, played by Rami Malek, speaks so slowly. James Bond. Licensed with Madeline Swan. I could be speaking to my own reflection. Only your skills die with your body. And life is all about leaving something behind. Isn't it? We learned in the last movie, Spectre, that a lot of the things going on in the Craig era Bond movies were were the doings of the nefarious Blofeld, and it looks like No Time to Die continues that storyline. If you don't have time to rewatch the four previous Bonds, maybe glancing at the Wikipedia pages would be a good idea. I rewatched Casino Royale this week, and I'll try to rewatch Skyfall before I go see the new movie. And I'm sure the movie will provide as much context and background as you would need anyway, and I'm really sure that I'll just nod along at all the plot stuff and pretend like I know 
know what's going on while I patiently wait for the car chases and fights and shoot 'em ups. Besides Craig, there are some other returning players like Leah Sedu, Naomi Harris, Ben Wishaw, Christoph Waltz, Jeffrey Wright, and Ray Fines. And besides Malik, there are some other new faces, including Anna DeArmas from Knives Out, so she's worked with Daniel Craig before, and Lashana Lynch, who played Maria Rambo in the MCU's Captain Marvel movie. It looks like a fun ride, this one. No Time to Die is finally in theaters now. Come on, Bond. Where the hell are you? I have to finish this. How excited are you for this? I'm pretty excited for it. I, I'm not a huge James Bond guy, but there is a bit of nostalgia every time you go see a James Bond movie, just because, you know, the series has been around for like 25 years or 15 years before we were even born. So um, it's been there all our lives. So inherently, there's some nostalgia there. And, the, you know, uh, nostalgia has been the keyword for the last year and a half to many people's viewing. So it'll be fun to go see another Daniel Craig Bond movie one more time. Also, this weekend is something fun for the family on Disney+. Plus. Welcome to the home of fear and fright, where not all guests survive the night. The lucky souls will live to tell, and those who don't will rot in. What's the matter with you? You can't say that. This is a family show. What are you doing? Welcome, foolish Muppets, to tonight's very special Halloween challenge. We just have to survive the night in this haunted mansion. Yeah, there you go. The Muppets, they're in a haunted mansion. Most of the Muppets are the ghosts in the haunted mansion. Will Arnett is in it. Taraji P. Henson is in it. And uh, yeah, it focuses on Gonzo and the king. And uh, I don't even know what his little character what he's supposed to be and they actually referenced that in the trailer is he a shrimp is he a king prawn but uh it looks fun it's the muppets i love it and it's halloween too that's great they did uh release that star wars the lego star wars terrifying tales last week and uh i didn't did not enjoy it as much as i liked their uh holiday special last year so but i will have a look at the muppets because i love the muppets hmm. um tv stuff we'll just quickly rip through the, your fall preview as we continue that and as of this weekend... So, you're heavily favoured this weekend. You think this will end your embarrassing streak of draws? Lloyd, I've never been embarrassed about having streaks in my draws. You know, it's all part of growing up. The Ted Lasso season two finale is on... Well, it's out as of this weekend on Apple TV+. Plus. I'm just uh, going... I'm not going give, to give you the full list here, just a couple of highlights. Like, for example, Sunday, October 10th, we've got season two of The Equalizer. Sunday, October 10th on Global... I want your help. When there's nowhere else to turn. There's something I need. Equalized. No one you can trust. Watch your back. She's the one you call. I have done what I can to keep people safe. It's what I was put on this earth to do. Queen Latifah returns. And I'm not stopping. As the Equalizer. New season. Sunday, October 10th on Global. Set your PVR. Also available on Stack TV. Also on Sunday, October 10th, NCIS Los Angeles kicks off its 13th season and the fifth season of SEAL Team. And the CW has a couple of new shows, Legends of the Hidden Temple and Killer Camp. On Monday, October 11th... I want to know how far Robert Langdon has gotten. From the author of The Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons. He wants me to locate an ancient portal buried within the capital. The world's greatest symbologist comes to showcase. There's a purpose to everything he's done. 
You didn't think it was going to be that easy, did you? The origin of an icon. At what point, though, do benign symbols become malignant? Dan Brown's The Lost Symbol. All new Mondays on Showcase. Also available on Stack TV. So they changed it from famed symbologist to the world's greatest symbologist. <laughs> but it looks cool. So I I, I mean, I, I preferred the books versus to the movies. So maybe uh, the fact that this is a series will be better. On Wednesday, October 13th on Showcase, we've got season four of The Sinner. And as well as season three of Batwoman. On Thursday, October 14th, Legacies Season 4 is also on Showcase. So still lots of stuff to come. Uh, The Child's Play show, Chucky, that I think starts on Showcase on the 19th. So we'll tell you more about that, I guess, next week. In the meantime, I was very excited this week for two trailers that debuted. One involving boxing, the other fire and blood. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and we got our first look this week at the upcoming Game of Thrones uh, prequel series. It's called House of the Dragon. Gods. Kings. Fire. And blood. Dreams didn't make us kings. Dragons did. According to its Wikipedia page, the House of the Dragon is set 200 years before the events of Game of Thrones and chronicles the beginning of the end of House Targaryen and the events leading up to the Targaryen Civil War known as the Dance of the Dragons. So it's all new characters, although we are obviously familiar with some of these bloodlines and the world in general, of course, we're familiar with. And I have a feeling that the times move slower in Westeros and in our world, so I imagine it'll all look quite similar to Game of Thrones despite the 200-year time jump into the past. The teaser doesn't really show much at all. A couple of, you know, very blonde people looking serious and some flashes of sword fighting and jousting, and that's about it. But it's enough to remind us that while Game of Thrones ended about two and a half years ago, we still have a lot more to come. Still no exact word on when we'll get the 10 episodes of House of the Dragon other than 2022, Brett. Super exciting, super exciting. I can't wait. I know that the finale left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths and and I if you count yourself among that group I can't blame you because that final season while it had amazing action it was too rushed the the villain turn or whatever for uh Khaleesi for Daenerys Targaryen just didn't make sense it I was thinking about it the other day it kind of felt like Anakin Skywalker's turn to the dark side in Revenge, Revenge of, of the, the Sith. Sith yeah because you understood what was happening and why it was happening. You just didn't believe that it was happening. Like, you didn't believe in it. And it was the same thing here. Like, I understood what was going on, but I just didn't believe that after all of the heroic things she's, she would had done, that she would then turn the way that she did. So I didn't buy that. But overall, I think I was pretty much okay with that finale and the series as a whole is one of my favorite things ever so i'm very very excited 
for the House of the Dragon. Hopefully it debuts in 2022 sooner than later. I like that they just say 2022, right? Because if they say in February, well, this isn't going to be ready for a couple more months, like they can't change that release date. And those dragon, yeah. if there are dragons and they, there is a, a brief glimpse of a dragon in the in the teaser, that's a lot of special effects. So. And, of course, in the last 18 months, almost nothing has come out uh, when it was supposed to. So I don't blame them for not putting a firm date on there as well. And also next year, we'll be getting that Lord of the Rings uh, TV series. Again, also a prequel, I believe. So yeah. we got a lot of uh, that sort of sword and sandals and mystical realm type stuff to deal with next year. It'll be a lot of fun for the nerds and the geeks among us. Now, let's move on to something, uh, a masterpiece Messing with perfection, we were talking about it in Squid Game there a little bit. Now it seems a director's cut of a classic 80s movie will be released this fall. The director is Sylvester Stallone, and the movie is Rocky IV. Russia will now throw its hat into the ring. I've seen this Drago fight. Drago is a super athlete. I know I can beat him. Hey, Paolo, look, maybe the show is over. You've got nothing more to prove. He thinks he's fighting for the whole country, but his reasons are wrong. I'm asking, as a friend. Stand in my corner. Just this one last time. I did not come here to lose. Cannot be defeated. Tony, get a doctor in here! Soon, Hogwarts will know my name. Drago. Drago. I let it happen. I gotta take everything he's got. Yes, Drago. He says his name a lot. And in fact, Sly is naming this cut Rocky V. Drago, the ultimate director's cut. That's fine, although it's a little weird to keep the word director in there when it's Stallone himself. Should take a page from Zack Snyder. Call it a Stallone cut. So how is it different than the original Rocky Four? you ask? Well, there are 40 more minutes, including a recut version of the Apollo Creed Drago fight at the beginning of the movie. And Stallone says, in fact, all the fight scenes are more intense in this one. He has also apparently cut out all the scenes of Polly's robot, which is too bad, but that was really weird, uh, for being honest. This new version of Rocky Four will be in select theaters for one night only on November 11th. And that's in the U.S. Who knows if it'll screen in Canada anywhere. But it will be available to rent on digital starting on November 12th. And I would imagine that there will be a Blu-ray release as well, if not right away, eventually. So, Brad, I know Rocky Four is one of your favorite movies. You must be jacked for this. Yeah, and I've been waiting for a long time. I think this was supposed to be done last year. So I don't know what yeah. took them so long to make this happen. I don't know if they were waiting for the pen the pandemic to end or for more theaters to be open, but theaters have been open for a while now. So I don't know what the problem was, but uh, yes, I'm very excited because I love this movie in spite of the fact that it's, it's really not a good movie. Like Rocky four is, is a typical eighties sort of cheese fest. And it, it complete with 33 minutes of montage. I'm pretty sure it's, <laughs> well, it's a, it's over a third of the length of the movie, I believe, is is montage. I think that's what people like about this movie so much is that it's well, it's got the, the montages are amazing though, and you got the Eye of the Tiger there and some other good you know '80s music to go with it. So and it's fun and it's uh, and it stopped the Cold War for God's sakes. Rocky <laughs> saved the planet, didn't he? 
Yes, that's right. That's right. He, <laughs> so I want maybe we'll get more montages in this one. Uh, the, I love oh, I like the training montage ends. Rocky has a brief, maybe two minute scene with Adrian, and then it goes into another training montage before we get to the fight, which is, it itself is basically one huge montage. And that fight, though, it's still. And it, it it says this in the trailer. I don't know who voted it, but it they, it says it's voted the the greatest fight in cinematic history. But I and I I know boxing purists hate Hollywood the Rocky movies. Well, they just hate the ho- most Hollywood boxing is not portrayed like it would actually go. But who cares? It's a movie. That's what makes it fun. So I can't wait to see this, and it's going to be interesting to see how much more dialogue Drago has. I mean, we already heard in that trailer. He says a lot more, I think, in that trailer than he did in the entire movie for Rocky Four. Like he said, I don't know, maybe twenty words. Well, yeah. Well, he and I guess obviously, uh, oh, I forget the actor's name. Um, the, the 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 Swede who will make you bleed, Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> Dolph Lundgren. At the time when he first started Hollywood movies, he didn't uh, know English at all. So I think probably that was probably one of the reasons that they cut that all out of there. Because I remember hearing about, you know how he plays um, He-Man in the Masters of the Universe movie? Yeah. They And the, his dialogue is terrible in that because he was just learning it phonetically because he couldn't speak English. And they had planned to dub it over with some other actor doing the voice properly. Oh, no. But they ran out of money and they couldn't, so they just left the Dolph Lundgren version in there. So oh, he's a... Uh, yeah, he's got a, a history of you know bad dialogue in the '80s. Not and it's not necessarily his fault. So it will, it'll be interesting to see, like you said, how much more they put into this one. Yeah, he say he had nine lines of dialogue in the original film, and most wow. of them are are like four or five words, such as "You will lose." I cannot be defeated. I defeat all men. Soon I defeat real <laughs> champion. If he dies, he dies, and I must break you. So very excited to see Rocky Four, November twelfth. Plans made. I will be watching some Rocky Four. In a moment, I got to tell you about how, after I was finished watching a Korean show on Netflix, I made the switch to a Spanish show that I have been waiting to get to. So that's next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. This is the theme song for Succession. Season 3 makes its debut on HBO and Crave on October 17th. And Jeff Braun, you have started to watch it. I just finally started this week. Yeah, I knew that I saw that Season 3 start date coming up. And since last season, after you raved about Season 2, I thought, oh, i got to get on this succession before the next season starts. And now is the time for that, which is good because it'll all be fresh in my head when Season 3 starts, not this year off in between seasons where I forget everything that happened. That's the one good thing about catching up to something right uh, in the moment. And I've been enjoying it a lot. It's way more entertaining than I was expecting. I thought it was going to be much more serious than it is. And, uh, you know, the characters are obviously all look serious most of the time, but there's a lot of humor in that show. And it's just just a little more looser than I was expecting. I thought it would be very plotty and uh, kind of into the high finance stuff and I, that's what it's, that's actually what sort of kept me from wanting to watch it because I thought Ugh, that'll get boring rich people and the problems who cares but it's uh, there it's it's really funny and uh, 
there's nobody to like in this ep- in this show. They all kind of suck yep. in a big way, but uh, that's part of the fun too. And the, we're listening to the theme now. The music throughout the episodes is amazing, and the composer is this guy Nicholas Bertel. He does all the Barry Jenkins movies, like Moonlight and that sort of thing. So he's been a, he's a re- he's really becoming one of my favorite composers because his music has an effect in this TV show that I don't think a lot of people give it enough credit for. It's really something. Yeah, there's, if you want to learn more about just how he crafted the theme song uh, and what he the, the stuff that he was thinking about, like he wanted to combine hip-hop sounds with something more classical, but he was yeah. playing the piano just a little off-key to give it that kind of like, eh, this doesn't, th- th- something's wrong. It was essentially meant to say there's something wrong with this family. So, yeah, I think it's a great theme song. Great show. Can't wait for it to come back. Uh, another show that I am excited about, or excited, I guess, to tell you about, because I finished watching that this week, too, is part one of... Part 5 of Money Heist. Cuando llevas 100 horas encerrada, has estado encadenada a punto de morir y has perdido a tu mejor amiga. Esas 100 horas te parecen 100 años. Te mate. All right, so we talked about a show from South Korea earlier. That was Squid Game. By the way, the Couch Potatoes both recommend watching it in Korean rather than listening to it with the dubs. I know a lot of people don't like watching subtitles. And if the dubs don't bother you, fine. But I can't stand them. And very much the same in Money Heist. Highly recommend it. If you watch it, you watch it in Spanish. So this is a show that became a bit of a, much like Squid Game is a phenomenon right now, last year Money Heist reached new heights because people were discovering it around the world during the pandemic. Um... And it it became a monster hit. It's about this group of people who, in the first season, they rob, like, the central bank of Spain. And uh, each season has them doing some... I think the the first couple of seasons were focused on that, and then they did pulled another job, and and now they're essentially fighting for their lives with the police and the military because they're trapped inside this building. The, the, The plot doesn't really matter. It's just, it's cops and robbers, right? And it's the action in the first half of season five. The second half is going to debut, I think, in December of this year. But it is insanely frantic. It's very heavy on the action side. And I don't want to criticize it, but I, I would say, even though the action is fun, the previous seasons were better because there was more character stuff. And I think that's why this show became so liked, wouldn't so well liked is because we got to know all of the characters so well. But no complaints about a show that is just all in on the action. It's fun. So Money Heist part 1 of part 5 on Netflix. And finally, I got to mention this because it was pretty exciting to see this back on TV again. Good morning Las Vegas. Yesterday, CSIs uncovered evidence of fraudulent misconduct within their own department, dating back 20 years. Internal Affairs is investigating the case. Justice is coming. It will be swift. So 8,000 criminals could get sprung. What we're really talking about is my lab's reputation. Justice is coming. You and I both know what it feels like when a scene is staged. I don't want it to be true either, Sarah. It will be swift. The 
There's stolen files in there, fake evidence, there's lab equipment. A pool of suspects. Unless there is to look at, the longer it takes to see what's missing. Justice is coming. I want to know how it's supposed to end. And you just have to start from the beginning. Do you think I could persuade you to come back to CSR? CSI Vegas made its debut on Wednesday on Global. Now, I will admit, I did not watch the whole episode because I was busy finishing Money Heist because I thought there were eight episodes in Money Heist, and it turns out there were only five in that first half of part five or season five. So I just kept watching that, and but I did turn on CSI for a few minutes because I had to see the opening segue the opening scene where they already included a, an electronic music themed montage as they set up evidence markers and then of course hearing the iconic theme song from the who was it was cool it was exciting it was a nice nostalgic feeling and i'm hoping that this is something that they uh try to e- evolve like uh, the the crime procedural the cbs crime procedural is a very comfortable piece of television but it would be nice if they don't just try to do exactly the same thing that they did the last time CSI was on. Nothing wrong with that, but I just don't want it to be a retread. So that's cool. I will endeavor to stay on top of that show for a little while at least. And eventually things tend to pile up in my PVR, and then I have to decide whether or not I'm going to continue watching <laughs> this show. Oh, should also mention too, before I forget, we were talking about Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings. Prime also has The Wheel of Time coming out in November oh, wow. if you're into the fantasy books. That was a big series of books, as I recall. So um, did you? are you familiar with The Wheel of Time? I am only familiar in that one of my friends was an avid reader of them, and whenever you know Christmas or her birthday was coming up, she'd say, just get me the new book in that series <laughs> or whatever. So I've bought many of them. I've never read any of them. <laughs> yeah, neither have I, so... I just It seemed very daunting to tackle an entire series like that. But I know a lot of people who love it, so hopefully the show is good. And that's all the time we've got. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes. And remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.